Studio Stories, Studio Stories. A podcast reminiscing on Twin Cities dance history. Stories are among our most potent tools. All stories are connected, new ones woven from threads of the old. Hi, I'm Joe Crook. And I'm Matthew Janjeski. Welcome to Studio Stories. Today our guest to share a bit of their Twin Cities history is Morgan Thorson. Her work was formidable and fresh, intelligent, riveting, with an explosive physicality tempered by sinuous lines and subtle drama. As quoted by the Minneapolis Star Tribune, Morgan has been touring her work here since 2002, uh, and even before that, we're so excited to have you here, Morgan. Hi, thank you. In reviewing all of the work that you have done, could, could you give us an overview of your beginnings as a dancer and choreographer? I would love to. I, I just want to say thank you so much for inviting me to share with you. And I want to acknowledge um, in my beginnings that that's where I met Matthew. Oh, wow. Isn't that right, Matthew? You were you and I were core members of Concrete Farm together. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't realize that that was like your beginnings, though. <laughs> Well, it was my beginning here, and in some ways, it was my real beginning at becoming a full-time dance artist. I started moving when I was very little. My mom took me to um, creative movement class. I think I was maybe four years old, and I studied with Miss Dodell in Connecticut. And basically, from that point on until I finished um, until I graduated from college, it was, I was in and out of dance. Most of my, um, young life, uh, adolescent, young adulthood. And, um, it wasn't until I got to Minneapolis where I really committed fully to being an artist. Incredible. And was, were you like based in ballet? Do I ever have that? So yes, I was I was in love with ballet. I I studied with Felicity Foote in in Connecticut as well as um, Carol Sumner, who was a soloist in New York City Ballet, and then opened a little school in Coscob, Connecticut. And and I mean little. Her studio was tiny, and there were a handful of us who would take class with her every single day. And basically, I was studying balancing technique and by the ninth grade she you know came up to me well first of all she said you have to go home and practice so I would go home and practice and put on my point shoes and dance in this little side room in my parents house I would sleep in the splits I mean I would do all kinds of crazy stuff and um, and, um, then she basically said you don't have the right body type so you're never gonna make it as a dancer and basically, my worldview was so small that I thought it was New York City Ballet, and that was the only place to dance. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so lucky um, for us, we yeah. <laughs> right. I, yeah, it wasn't until college that I um, at Barnard that I found um, Merce Cunningham and mm. Judson Church and mm. Steve Paxton and. Um, you know, Bill T. Jones and Arnie Zane and the, the, the whole kind of postmodern scene. Yeah. 
Incredible. What what uh, brought you to Minneapolis in the first place, or how did you start dancing here in the community, like getting engaged? Well, sorry? Getting engaged with the community here. How did that happen? I moved to Minneapolis basically because I developed a drug problem in New York City. Not a problem. I became a drug addict, and I had to get out of there. Um, I had started dancing, but I could not hold it together. So I came to Minneapolis, I came to Minnesota to get sober. Okay. And um, my, my journey in sobriety brought me to um, Chisago City, just north of, the, north of Minneapolis. And then I went to Duluth for a while and lived there for a year and four months. And then I moved to Minneapolis in 1992. And when, after I moved to Minneapolis, I started taking classes at Xenon. Doesn't that, isn't that what everybody does when they, come yeah, yeah. they go to Xenon? Because the Hennepin, for the Hennepin Center for the Arts at that time had a lot of different dance schools in it. And Xenon was one of the most contemporary um, schools. I was, at that point, had already been kind of politicized out of ballet and had done a lot of studying of improvisation with Steve Paxton, Simone Fortini, Jennifer Monson. Um, a host of downtown dance people, Meg Stewart, a whole bunch of people downtown in New York. So I, that's where I came from. Hmm. And um, I got sober and started dancing here in Minneapolis. And that's when I met you and Arwen and Kristen, and we created Concrete Farm. Incredible. What classes were you, what classes were happening at that time at Xenon? Like, that's, who were you taking from? That's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna say Erin Thompson was teaching. I'm sure, right? <laughs> I met her very early on because we bonded because she had just come. Well, I think right around that time, I just come from working with BB Miller and Nina Weiner, and we bonded over the New York thing because I had just mm. come to New York. Um, Sam was there. His name last name just fell out of my head. He ran uh, the Xenon Dance Company for a while. He died of huh. cancer. Sam. Okay. Oh it'll, my gosh. Yeah, it'll really? come back. So he might have been teaching. I think Aaron was teaching. Oh, Kathy was all over the place. She was there. She was like all over that space. What's Kathy, Kathy Young? Kathy Young? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jane Shockley was teaching. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah, I think Jane Shockley was one of the first people I met as well in Minneapolis. Yeah, I think Jane was teaching. I think I was coming to her class regularly. And Chris Aiken. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. Well, very cool. Sam Costa. Oh, my God. Is that right? I was wondering if it was Sam Costa. Yeah. I didn't know he did that at Xenon. That's so cool. I think he was um, a guest um, choreographer for, like, a season or two. And then maybe working... Maybe he was just, maybe he, I don't know. He might've just been hired to, to make a piece that season for the Xenon company. I don't, were you in Xenon? You were, weren't you? I never was in Xenon. Okay. <laughs> it's okay. funny though, because so many people think that I was. Uh, okay. I think Joni Smith to this day says that she discovered me performing at Xenon. I'm like, mm, no. <laughs> maybe she discovered you in Danny's piece pieces because you were dancing with Danny yeah yeah that, okay so 
you started making your own work right at the beginning of Concrete Farm, and then you left pretty shortly after we formed with a bunch, like almost everybody left. There were like five of us left. Yeah, it definitely, I think it was like 12. It started with 12 yep. dancers. And, it, you know, I think that's natural too, though. Oh, sure. Yeah. Can you, um, can you kind of explain what Concrete Farm was? Yeah. Um, and Matthew, you can jump in too. We came together that like Matthew said, there were 12 of us and we came together to embrace a contemporary form of making work and also sort of to share resources in a contemporary way to make work. And I think initially we were like, let's showcase all of our work together. Let's be in each, let's be in each other's work and let's show all of that work in a way that, um, will help us put it out there because, you know, making dance is cost prohibitive. And we were all really anxious to get going. So I think that's what brought us together initially. I think there was an aesthetic um, alignment. We all, there was kind of a collision of different interests and we were embracing that disparity that we had among us. Would you say that's true, Matthew? Totally. Everything you've said so far is so right on. Yeah. And I and the idea of uh, the farm aspect of it was that we would go away. Uh, we were, I think we were hoping for three months <laughs> in the beginning to like go out of town, out of the city and like really live on a farm and be collaborative in that sense. Yes. Yes. Thank you for that part. Yeah. Did that happen? Yeah. We, um, early on, we had a residency in, um, St. Cloud and it actually was, um, adjacent to the university there, but I believe it was Kristen, Kristen Van Loon, Arwen Wilder, Winona Sorensen, Susan Scalf and myself and Kelly Tennyson at that residency. Cool. Yeah. And we didn't go away for three months but we went away for a chunk of time and we all lived in the same house and it was I think one of our first um funded projects uh with the Jerome Foundation and did and was it from that residency I have this memory of the flatbed truck tour Mm -hmm. the flatbed might have come a year later a year or two later actually okay wow because we did we did the saint cloud residency and we did a show at space space i believe and then we did a, a thing called open days and we did a thing called the flatbed flatbed truck tour and i can't remember the actual sequence of those things but those were those were our, some of our biggest projects. Oh, we did this. Uh, we did a show, a stage show called Scout and, at Southern in 2000 oh. or 1999. Yeah. Can you tell me more about the flatbed truck situation? Yeah, like- we, we went, we were kind of on a roll with outreach and how to connect to audiences. And we were, we were, critiquing the convention of having to go to this space to see dance that might be downtown or in a space that people couldn't access. So we thought to ourselves, 
how can we get all of our dance, all of our dances to different communities in Minnesota? And we were like, we should just rent a truck and dance on the truck. <laughs> and we can drive everywhere. People, we can go to parking lots. We can go to festivals. We can go to things that are already happen happening. So people don't have to buy a ticket and come to us. And that's what we did. So cool. I, I think I actually might have been on a panel because I remember reading about it too, of like going, this is amazing. Like what a great way to, you know, for me, contemporary dance and the exposure of it and people being mm -hmm. like, oh, what's that weird stuff, you know, or. Oh, yeah. People thought know, it was weird. <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of curious about how, um, you know, Minnesota responded to that in different cities outside oh. of Minneapolis. I still laugh today because we went to wild rice days in Aiken, Minnesota. And <laughs> it was a street festival and most of the community was out playing bingo. And literally they were like, okay, we're going to take a break from bingo and watch concrete farm. This is concrete farm. <laughs> we did our thing. It was like an hour long. And the, the person, the, the, um, the person who was making the announcements picked up the microphone and said, okay, and back to bingo. <laughs> I think they were so happy that we were done. So, um, I, you know, I, there were in Grand Marais, it's much more of an arty community that, you know, they actually talk to us. And, yeah. But in some communities, I have to say that people were really suspicious. And in fact, we got kind of gay bashed and some like people, Young kids would call us fags and not in a nice way. Mm. Wow. So it was a bit, you know, we did a performance after a um, homecoming football game in a parking lot. Oh my gosh. Yeah. In, so uh, cool. Like so cool to have such diverse, you know, performances and responses from so many different people that the yeah. development of your work coming out of that i can't even imagine it, the scope that you put on that it was i think we were really brave and it was quite an accomplishment we went all over the state and um i'm i'm really glad we did it and i think it was formative in how we approached a lot of our dances after that hmm. keeping yeah. people really um keeping the access to the dance um, in the forefront of our uh, creation of movement spectacles. So cool. And so that, I feel like that did lead to, I have a major clear focus of Scout uh, mm -hmm. that you performed at the Southern Theater mm -hmm. as part of the concrete farm like that clear plastic across the front of it, the space, mm -hmm. stacks of newspaper. Can you just kind of give a overview of the, maybe the process of how you made, how did you guys work together uh, I, collaboratively? And I think we each had a section that we were overseeing and inspiring and developing. This is, I haven't thought about the process in a long time. So just bear with me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and from there we shaped, um, we shaped a sequence based on what people had generated and developed. 
And then the scenic elements kind of came in slowly and were inspired by different things. I think um, part of the, the plastic backdrop I remember came from a visit that I had maybe in downtown New York um, in the meatpacking district, those plastic curtains mm. that, that often like refrigerated spaces have when you pass through to keep the um, environment cold. And I, I was, I just kept thinking, oh, that would be so amazing to have that on the edge of the space. And so we came up with this plastic curtain. I really feel like there were a lot of um, colliding forces in that show. And it really was about our process. It wasn't, there wasn't one, you know, I couldn't, re I couldn't tell you in one sentence what the show was about. It was about a lot of things coming mm. together. And oh, also Own was in that. We had live music and we put the band on a platform in the, you know, in the art, under the arch. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I don't remember the band at all. That's crazy. Yep. I I'm just watching remember the dance. Watching the dance. <laughs> we were really excited about that element that they were off the ground and up high. So cool. I, yeah. I have a dream of like, uh, kind of works past that I, I think of mm -hmm. choreographers here in town. I'm like, I, I want to call it remount. <laughs> and that piece in particular, for some reason, I'm just like, I want to see that again. And, and what it would. Well, Kristen and Arwen and I often threaten each other with, let's sit down and watch that. And I don't <laughs> even know if we, any of us, I bet Kristen has an, a VHS hooked up at her house. <laughs> but we would need VHS playback. I, and actually maybe it was digitized. It might've been, we've been trying to keep our archive um, accessible. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Maybe Morgan, maybe uh, this is making me think of now like how you ventured more into your own work and producing your own work more. When did that kind of did that come right out of Concrete Farm or kind of simultaneously was happening? I I think there was some simultaneousness. I did a piece called Extra Extra at some showcase in Studio 6A. And that, I remember that piece kind of catapulted me into making um, more work. And I applied for a Jerome and I got it and I made Big Room, which was a piece about physics. Hmm. And um, that was at the Southern. And that was with Kristen and Arwen and Emily Johnson. Hmm. And there were, um, they had lighting by, um, oh my gosh, help me. He was uh, there forever. Jeff Bartlett? <laughs> Jeff Bartlett, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and Angie Vo did the costumes. Oh, yes. I think that was my first show, like my first full length show. And there was a, mm -hmm. um, yeah. And you know, a friend of mine, I think, uh, I think Lisa Damore helped me with some of the dramaturgical elements of the piece. Um, 
But yeah, that was, I think that was my first full length piece. And, and was that, I, sorry, yeah. I just remembered I actually danced for you uh, <laughs> briefly with, I think it might have been through Xenon. I'm not sure now. Uh, okay. The work that was performed at Choreographer's Evening, white outfits, and like you had these theater seats on the stage. Was it um, Mighty? Could be. I have another woman in it. Was Vanessa in it? I there was a several people. It was like a sextet. I want to say. Uh huh. Was there um, a teddy bear in it? Yeah. Oh, yes. Like Maybe. a mighty teddy bear. Ah. <laughs> this is funny. Um, I've done choreographers' evening. That was one time I did it. And I can't remember who was the curator. Have I done it twice? I think I've done it twice. And the other time it was on McGuire. That was pre-McGuire. That would have been in 2002, maybe? I yeah. I, I think it, I feel like it was before Big Room, I'm guessing. Oh, then if it was before, it wouldn't have been that piece. Because... Wait, was it, it was in Choreographer's Evening at the Walker, right? Yeah, the old stage, for oh, sure. I think it was, it might have been a version of Mighty. It was, oh, okay. Paula Mann, was she the curator? Could be, yeah. I I don't have a memory of, of that. I just remember, I think Winona was in it. So I feel like it oh. It might have been in, in that Concrete Farm time frame. Okay, then it probably was before, and I'm not sure what that was, but I know I did I I did a piece called Mighty that I workshopped with students at Xenon. I did their scholarship program, and then I did a I did the um, choreographer's evening, and Paula yeah. Mann was the curator. That's totally it. That's totally it. Okay, and Chris Schlichting was on that program too. Yeah. Okay. I don't remember that, Matthew, but thank you for remembering. <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> it's not personal. It's just like, it's a long time ago and I'm older now. And so memory is kind of, it's a thing. It comes yeah. up from time to time or lack thereof. <laughs> Trust me, I have a terrible, terrible memory. Um, okay. But, okay. But I have to say, you know, as a dancer, I, you know, responded so much to your physicality and kind of how Joe... Uh, introduced your movement like I couldn't agree more can you maybe describe a little bit of your like how you make stuff and sure. and your process in that sure um sometimes I will become inspired by like a physical problem or a physical um proposition and for example, this is a very literal image, but it's something I've worked with. Like the idea of a marble rolling across your skin, mm -hmm. moving from one side of the body to the other, around the torso or down the leg and through to the other, you know, through across the floor and to the other leg, for example, just something like that. Um, so a moving, a kind of moving impulse that's not, that defies, um, the anatomical structure of the body for 
moving along an energetic impulse. So there's that. And then, so often I work with images. Sometimes I work with the idea that I'm, you know, moving over things, obstacles, um, fences or hay barrels or something like that. Um, Sometimes I have worked with a notion that like I have an invisible wig on and I have to keep the wig balanced on my head. (laughs) Just things like, I know they're kind of fantastical, fantastic. They're absurd, absurd images. Um, But they really um, trigger a kind of moving that is not, you know, there's such a sense of um, flow in modern and postmodern dance. And I always wanted to fight that. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, a piece that I made that I'm really proud of is No Feeling for Harmony. It's a piece that I made for um, James Sewell Ballet, and I don't know if you ever saw it, but it was in their pilot program. They had a speed dating um, meeting where all these choreographers sat down and talked to all of these composers. And I ended up pairing up with Mark Jensen and um, we did a piece, we made a piece called No Feeling for Harmony. And it turned out that he was really into Pauline Oliveras and so was I. And we were both really into improvising. And we studied clouds and rain for that piece, which is weird because it ended up being a kind of absurdist notion on um, different groups coming together and moving apart and breaking apart. And we made a a direct reference in the piece to John Cage and um, and we used half of the group of people that I had worked with in Faker and half of, um, you know, I thought I was going to get the whole dance company, but we got three dancers. And so I was like, well, I want to make a sextet. Well, I'm going to use three local dancers and we're going to make this piece. And it was performed one time at the St. Paul Chamber Orchestra. Yeah. Suite. So Paul. this was part of the American Composers Forum. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. I saw that work and loved it. I yeah. remember that very clearly with like the grass stains on the costume. Yes, the grass stains, yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So in that material, um, I actually got in the studio and made up a bunch of phrases, and they were just phrases that came out of my conversations with Mark Jensen. And Mark Jensen, when he would create scores for his sound, they were very, very specific. And so we would make up scores like, we made up scores that could be used in a dance context or in a sound context, like single falling gestures. So he would go away and compose for single falling gestures, and I would go away and compose for single falling gestures. Hmm. And it was quite remarkable what happened i and it you know it there were i remember working with him and it there was like kind of a crisis point that i had with it with the work and i was like um i'm feeling really worried about this (laughs) this was like maybe 10 days out and i'm not sure what to do i think we need to get people in here and i know this isn't what you normally do but i need you to compose a lullaby (laughs) he was an improviser And he's like, was really resistant to it. And I said, I know, but I, we just need something to contain everything. It's just a little too out there. 
and he did it. And then we got in the space and the space kind of created the perfect container for the dance because it had those columns and it had the curtains and it was like, it had that organ, which we referenced. And um, it just ended up being a, a catalytic moment for me because the space is everything in dance. You can dance in your living room and the feeling of the movement can be so palpable and incredible and then dance on a the same movement in a theater and it can be dead. Yeah. So I learned that. I learned, you know, being a young choreographer, I really learned that. And I shaped a lot of the, the events of the piece um, based on my experience in that room. And I so to, yeah. consequently, I always go to the theater that I'm working and sit there and walk around and like, let it, let its own kind of forces work over me when I make a, make a show. Wow. In yeah. fact, I like to even do like a dry tech with my lighting designer without the dancers, because um, there's something about that I can see more fully in the space. Um, wow. I can see the space more fully. That's a better way to put it. Yeah. It gives you so much more information. And I have to say that, that work in particular was really inspiring to me because of that component. I was like seeing the space in such a different way. And I remember that specifically about that work was just the, the, the space itself, like mm -hmm. how you used it and mm -hmm. brought it out. So that's interesting that, yeah. I have to say that I, you know, we did, we had this whole improvisation based on clouds. And I was like, this is like, I don't know if you ever get this feeling, but I was like, this is horrible. I know what's going on. I have no idea. How are people going to be able to see this? And then I just pulled out two, this often happens to me. I had like four phrases in my back pocket that we hadn't used. And I was like, okay, Jessica, you're going to do this leaping spinning phrase. I know it's hard, but you're going to do it right around this. And it was like exactly what the piece needed. And it came in late, so late. Hmm. And I, I, that happens to me frequently in my work. I develop a ton of work, some, and it doesn't all get used. And then in the last minute, something will get used in just the right way. Yeah, like pulled from the shelf. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that piece. I'm glad we talked about it. Yeah, I, I, it makes me wonder as well, Morgan, about... Do you do you always feel a sense of like moving forward and just thinking of future movement uh, or or works? I mean, or do you feel like there's a sense of oh, I want to go back to this work and and reinvestigate it, or is like the past the past and you're done with it? Like, do you remount works in that way? Um, I haven't done a, I've never done a remount except for Still Life, but Still Life that was a anonymous anomaly a phenomenon because it was supposed to tour to new york city to ps122 and then ps122 changed had a major rebranding oh, yeah the person that commissioned me left they hired somebody new like there was a huge turnover and the new person was like well thank you very much but i'm moving on with my own curating and hmm. we don't want to we don't want to show your work i don't know you we're, we're focusing on New York artists. That's what I was hired to do. So goodbye. So we ended up doing that piece that was supposed to be 
performed in 2017 last summer in Seattle. <laughs> so the New York, the New York premiere of Still Life was in Seattle in 2019. <laughs> wow! And and Still Life that was um, originally set in a museum setting. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. and um, that. So that's the only time I've really done a remount because we I usually I rehearse a show, I have a tour, and then we do the tour and it's over. But that piece, the engagement um, at, in New York, uh, initially we were trying to move it to a different venue and that didn't happen. And so I just started pursuing other venues nationally. And there were, for a while, we were maybe going to go to Austin, like Fusebox wanted it, and then they couldn't get a venue for us. They're really, really short on theaters in in Austin. Hmm. So then we we got picked up by uh, on the boards and base in Seattle. So yes, it was initially commissioned by um, Walk, uh, sorry, Wiseman Art Museum, and it was commissioned for a three month exhibition a multimedia exhibition called local time mm-hmm. and it it explored uh time as a subject and a practice artists that were that were using time as a subject and a practice mm-hmm. uh, so i haven't gone back but what i have done like i generated i think it was spaceholder festival and sometimes when I feel like we've got a lot of material, but I've lost direction, I'm not sure what to do. I'll get in the studio. And I got in the studio and started working on stuff. And I ended up making a solo. And I, so the solo was inspired by all the concepts that we were exploring in Spaceholder Festival, but I ended up making its own, a, a discrete work that I would say came out of that. So that came out of the development of that work. So I would say that's the closest thing for me. That's kind of like a retro, you know, retrospectively exploring a work. Um, I have also, when I um, did you in St. Paul, I know you came to see that um, Yes. at the Bedlam space. Um, There were aspects to that piece after or while I was making it and we mounted it in, um, in bed at bedlam space in lower town and i remember people coming up to me and said oh my god i could have seen that hand holding forever i would have just watched that forever so i took again aspects from that piece and i created a quartet that was for dance usa for the coals and um i just i like i pulled elements from it but i wouldn't say i remounted the exact same piece i made another piece with the things that i was researching in that piece yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I think, mm-hmm. I think you know, remount takes those different forms. I think or yeah. suggest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would be curious. I've thought about, you know, there are elements of different pieces that I would love to see live again, but I haven't. Yeah, I, I, I think I do. I think I do move forward. I mean, right now, I'm, I'm dreaming about dancing outside which is something i've really never done except for with concrete farm Hmm. makes total sense at this time yeah 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 it does make sense and it it kind of it was it was coming up before covid it came up last winter and when there was snow on the ground and i was really curious about what it 
what it's like to be outside in snow and moving. And I'm right now it doesn't, it's all in the, it's very unformed in my head, but I'm curious about darkness too. Yeah. Do you think, um, kind of going back a little bit to the remount question Sure, sure. Um, with, with works, like do you, does your mind go to standouts that you, you have, uh, really high memories of or yeah I mean no feeling for harmony is one of them I would say faker is one of them I would say docudrama is one of them I loved that show so much and it was really about dance and I loved it for a lot of reasons it was intergenerational um it it was it actually was remounted I did it for a nine by 22 and then I remounted it and did it during the day during happy hour at Bryant Lake Bowl during, or no, I did it over the lunch hour. Sorry. We had one happy hour show and the rest were at lunch so that you could leave your work, go for a show that was half an hour long and then leave Hmm. and order your lunch. Um, Hmm. I loved that piece so much. Um, I loved Faker too. And I loved my role in it and I loved the performers. And I think that was the beginning of a relationship with Jessica Cressy, who's been in almost all of my work. Yeah, and she's phenomenal. She's phenomenal. She's been phenomenal to work with, and I respect her deeply. I can't remember what Faker was. Is was there marshmallows in that one, or is that a whole other? No, that was in Big Room. That had the marshmallows. Okay. Um, no, Faker was had big red carpet. Karen Sherman, Kristen Van Loon, Chris Schlichting, and Joanna Fernandes. It was my momentum show. I shared it with, oh, God, ballet dancer, lovely. Jennifer, she moved to Texas. Jennifer Jennifer Hart. Jennifer Hart. Hart. Yes, yes, yes. She and I shared a momentum show. Uh, Yeah. Wow. Maybe you never saw it. There was singing in it. Chris and uh, Karen sang a duet up where we belong. Yes, I totally. The karaoke piece. Yeah, and the red carpet kind of stands out to me too now. I definitely did see it, I think. I definitely yeah. think. <laughs> we, did it, we did it as in momentum, but then we did a remount of it. So here we go, remount. Jeff Bartlett really wanted me to do it again, and I did it as part of Scuba. Okay. And the the local artists came from Seattle, I believe, and did a piece. We shared an evening. Yeah, that was with Katie Niehoff's Velocity, I bet, or Lingo. Yeah, Mm -hmm. correct. But I think we shared a piece with, oh, Mm. maybe Inkboat. Maybe Inkboat. Hmm. I think it's so amazing, like how much work choreographers are doing here and how much, you know, especially through your experiences and, and lasting for so long and making work as well, which I think is, you know, cheers to that alone. It, the, you know, the difficulties of being able to be in the studio and create your own work, like getting that support continued, you know. But I agree. I mean, I'm like, what's docudrama? I don't know that, Morgan. You know, like there's so much. I feel like I'm involved in the community and try to see as much as I can. But it's like amazing how much you alone have done choreographically 
And it's like, well, I want to see that now, you know, like it's so there's a whole talking head sequence instead of having a program. And we were kind of modeling after the conventional, very like the night at the theater kind of program where you have a headshot where your shoulders are bare, you know, the Mm -hmm. naked headshot. Mm -hmm. So docudrama starts with the video screen coming down and every dancer that that's in it is doing a talking heads video. And it's basically a biography instead of looking at their picture and reading their biography, they are stating their biography naked from the shoulders up Mm -hmm. and Anna and um, Eva Moan, Hannah Kramer, Jessica Cressy, Judith Howard, and Anna Shogren. Oh my God, amazing dancers. Amazing dancers. It was a phenomenal process and show. And it was one, again, I think I was so inspired by the last piece that I had made that it like just, I had a lot of clarity. I knew exactly what I wanted to make. And that's kind of rare for me these days. Here's the concept. I'm not sure where this is going to go. I have no idea. <laughs> um, where was that performed? It was performed at the Bryant Lake Bowl, and it was made for the Bryant Lake Bowl. We did a lot of rehearsing in the Bryant Lake Bowl, and that really, again, sh- I think I learned about shaping a piece by being in an environment. I think it was really inspired by No Feeling for Harmony. Huh. Amazing. Uh, Um, I just want to also mention another artist who I worked with very early on when I first got here, who was not in Concrete Farm, but I danced with. That was Rosie Simas. And remember when she had Shattering Feet? Yes, I danced for her, too. And I danced. Were we in the same show? (laughs) No, I'm like, I don't think so. But it was like this big, it was a warehouse space. Yeah, was it at Old Arizona? No, this was... I think this was earlier because I went to college with Rosie. Right. Okay. Well, go ahead. No, you go. (laughs) Well, I just wanted to acknowledge you were talking about choreographers doing so much. You know, I remember she did, um, we wait in the darkness. And then there was a show that she did at um, Two Rivers Gallery. She was dancing with um, her collaborator, um, Francois, who makes sound and there was an installation of all of her family relics of the Seneca nation. It was so beautiful. Like all of it, just the objects and her moving alone. It was so sparse and um, kind of, it was just, it was just, I loved all of it uh, deeply. And, and I remember thinking, Oh my God, this woman has been in Minneapolis and out of and she, out of Minneapolis, she's moved around, she's done so much, and she's just really doing it. And I often feel that, like when I see, you know, your work or Arwen's work or Rosie's work, it's like they're just, we just really decided to just keep doing it no matter what. And that's yeah. what I told people. I was like, when I had no money, I did what I, what I could do with no money. Like I just knew that once, once I got through, uh, addiction and came into recovery. Okay, well, this is what I'm going to do now, and I'm going to do it. And if I have to have a day job, I have a day job. Yeah, whatever it takes, right? Whatever it takes. Yeah, because it, it, it's my way of communicating. Yeah, right there with you. And you know, mm-hmm. Lou Cantor, uh long ago, who uh, she's rehearsal directed with James Sewell, and then 
did some work with me and Robin Steam. And long ago when I was making my own work, she was like, perseverance, Matthew. That's that's the word to to hold on to. Just persevere. <laughs> yeah, that's a really that's a really good insight. Yes, I worked with Lou on my, on a piece called Toe the White Line. And Do you archival like you had mentioned that earlier in the conversation of archival work with Kristen and Arwen and the concrete farm kind of like keeping things archivally archivally is that a word sure yeah like do you have this information somewhere like is it kept safe like how do you do that or I have a few banker boxes in the attic that have, you know, old programs and flyers and VHS tapes. Um, So the honest answer is I do have recordings, but they do need to be reformatted. Like Mm -hmm. Faker needs to be reformatted. I do have, I have, I think I have all of Faker on a hard drive. I really hope I do. Um, And I don't know. I'm guessing that the Walker would because didn't they document all of the Momentum series? Yes, I would. I bet they would have that for sure. Because you did Momentum before I did. Yeah, yeah. I, I think they have everything. But it is, it is interesting how technology has changed and shifted. And it's like I have these mm-hmm. mini little DV video things. and mm-hmm. Yeah, just... I, yeah, I am... That's on one of that's that's a project for me. I need to not only get all of my work digitized, but I need to consider having it accessible. Yeah, yeah. And that's part of what this, you know, Studio Stories podcast is about as well for me is just like informally having these oral histories of connection. Um I don't know. I just think the history, like, yes, we have that performance library, you know, on the U of M campus, but there's so much more when you're in the studio with someone and you're like, what, who was that? And I didn't know you were connected to that or, you know, like getting that information is so cool. Yeah. I, um, I think archiving is really important and I, we had, in concrete form, we had a person whose job it was to archive, and I believe that was Kristen. And so she's done a really good job, which leads me to hijack. And I know that they've been uh, archiving their work. Um, I think it's really, really important, and I, I, I want to make sure that I at least have a decent scrapbook left behind. <laughs> I don't know. What, when I go, um, it's hard to say uh, when I'll get to that. You know, my fantasy is to get a residency and like to bring all of my digitizing work and just do it in, in a residency format and get inspired by the sifting through all the, the materials. I also have hours and hours upon hours of rehearsal because I document almost every rehearsal. Wow. So it's, yeah, it's, I don't know what to do with that. I don't even know if it's relevant, but it would be interesting to comb through some of that footage on mini DV. Yeah. Yeah. Going through closets and being like, Oh, what's this? And you're yep. an organ, yep. but you get lost in the, in the journal. Yep. 
friend just returned some journals I somehow left in the basement. <laughs> and oh, I was like, oh my gosh, this is like me in college and the beginnings of Concrete Farm, actually. There's like this notebook. Cool. It's so crazy. The list of names and the whole objective. And some of it wasn't even my writing. Like people were taking notes. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was fascinating. You know, I, I think... Um, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. You go ahead. Yeah. So, you know, I just have a, a kind of a an overview question and your connection to Minneapolis. What is it that you you know, have experienced um, as a dancer that you're looking to bring into the future? Like, what is there something that you're looking for in dance, um, in the community or in your own personal work? Mm-hmm. Um, this is a great question. I think there's this idea of scale and massiveness and materiality. And I know those sound kind of like heavy conceptual words and ideas, but I feel like there's going to be more, um, I want to say, multiplicity in approaching dance that way. Meaning like there, you can draw different kinds of, um, connections or meanings from the the movement of the body or the placement and composition of bodies um, when it um, is in a in a field that's more democratic um, where materiality is not only generated by bodies but by objects and by light and sound and I I just keep going back to public love and the blowing up of the of the backdrop inflating the backdrop and as a as a gesture to not only adorn the space and adore the space but that also the space got abandoned by the dancers and it was just this blown up thing a swelling thing um i love that that happened and i want to do things like that (laughs) more of that um I want to acknowledge that, you know, that also came from our process. We were, you know, Valerie Olivero, one of my collaborators in public love was, um, I don't know, one day she, she just said, let's go get a big backdrop, um, bring this into the work. And I was like, that sounds like a great idea. And so we didn't know what we we're going to do with it, but then it was a summer day and we ended up like turning the fans on and it, blew it up and there we had this like big swelling it was kind of a garment for the space and it turned into this animated this animated wave like thing that had its own kind of aliveness and I felt I feel like that I'm interested in that I'm interested in how things can be animated even if they're very solid objects or spaces very concrete how can we engender things with aliveness um now that is not optimism necessarily, but I think that um, the aliveness is what creates collisions in my work, and those collisions, I think, those juxtapositions are things that um, create other holes and spaces of awareness and perception that help guide me through my work and help make um, 
the composite of the work interesting and engaging and weird. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Um, Thank you so much for sharing all of this. Um, I'm not as kind of steeped in the history of, of Minneapolis, but it's been so great to hear about your process and your work. And I'm, I wish I could see all of this work that you guys have been talking about. Um, It just seems so interesting to me. So thank you so much for sharing all of that. Yeah, no problem. And I love talking about dance and it's, it's really interesting to look back and I've been doing a decent amount of looking back lately and uh, anytime you want to talk about dance, I love talking about dance. Not, not, not necessarily for my own work, but any work. I love dance. Yeah. Yeah. Even when I hate it. Too. <laughs> I love hearing your words of, of describing your uh, process and, even just in describing what you're interested in looking at right now from the public love uh, work you were talking about and just such clarity of, of your process and of the way you're moving into it with that openness as well, though, at the same time. But it's just, that's what fascinates me the most. Like I could, I swear I I meet up with someone for coffee to talk about like, Mm -hmm. Oh, we're going to do this now. And, and Mm -hmm. it's the conversation, I'm like, I really need to schedule three hours for these kind of conversations because it's just so fun and inspiring and hearing, you know, the the kind of behind the scenes aspect of things and like, oh, that's yeah. where that's where she's coming from. Or you know what I mean? Like really, really getting in there a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And with public love especially, I really wanted the dancers to be the center of the work and not me making things up and them imitating me or, or learning movement that, um, I mean, there was some of them learning movement that I made. That's absolutely true. But, um, a lot of it was taken, um, into their own bodies and then they worked with each other to, to coach out or coach into the movement. And I didn't, I didn't, I really didn't look at it. I didn't use my eyes to shape that show in the way that I normally would use my eyes. I wanted to take my eyes out of the picture for a while to remove my own power and my own power in composing with a visual vantage point. And I think that's where Valerie's suggestion came in so strongly for me and other things too. Yeah. Um, she's a really refreshing presence in this community along with um uh, the things that you're doing and Red Eye's doing and Hijack and Kristen with her gallery uh, with Ryan. There's a lot of, there's just a lot of cool things happening right now. Yeah, definitely. Even with the shutdown. I know, right? Yeah. And and I feel like the Twin Cities, I don't know, I, I get this sense that people are only aware of what they're aware of. And it's like, oh, there's all this stuff. Like, I don't know how, how to get that that word out more rather than just seeing, you know, the dance community newsletter or a poster that you stumble upon of like, I have to check that out, you know? Well, how did you come to want to do a podcast? I mean, it sounds like you were really interested in the history of the community, but how did you come across Joe and, and what, what inspired you two to do this project? I'm curious. Yeah. Well, I mean, Matthew approached me um, about doing the podcast um, 
you know, I think for me, what I find so interesting um, is I, I've been dancing here for about 10 years. Um, I grew up in, in Minneapolis. I grew up just outside of Minneapolis. And, and these names that I've heard or these, you know, uh, shows or, or spaces, but I have no real framework or connection to any of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think that that's what's really interesting to me. I think I'm interested about like not just taking, you know, uh, one class, but taking that class and understanding that that class came from this collaboration or this influence or this place. So mm-hmm. that's what really draw, it kind of was the uh, the exciting part for me um, about connecting with this podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for me, you know, this is kind of coming from an ego place probably, but okay. I, I went to take a class at Xenon uh, with, mm-hmm. you know, I have da- taught there for well over 15 years probably now and mm-hmm. the person checking me in to take the class didn't know who I was and and not that it was like you need to know who I am kind of a thing but I was like wow there's so many wonderful fresh new faces in town and I want them to be like oh my gosh that's Morgan Thorson in the elevator with me or mm-hmm. this person you know because when I moved here in 1989 I mm-hmm. was taking classes at Xenon right away. And it was like with the dancers of the company and, you know, mm-hmm. seeing them perform and being wowed by like, Oh my gosh, I get to take class with this person. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a little naive naivete about it as well of that being in awe of, of uh, people's presence and their performances. And, you know, just like, oh, I want to be that person or like, how can I, what can I learn from them? And so yeah, like mentors within the community itself. And I feel like these stories and making these dots and connections um, of just knowing who the community is. It's so spread out there now. I feel like we used to have more of a central hub. And and now it's like, we're all doing our own thing. And, you know, that's part of a a good evolution of changing the world too. But uh, I don't know. There's also like, yeah, this is our this is our team. This is like the dance community itself. Like we can help support each other and, and learn from the past and respect and understand it and be like, wow, what is that? You know, I don't know. A big learning thing. <laughs> Great. I really appreciate that you're doing it. Well, thank you. Yeah. And it's so awesome to have you, Morgan. I, I really appreciate you, your excitement in, in this and, uh, and sharing and I feel like, I, I, again, I could talk to you for hours about stuff. <laughs> yes, there's a lot to talk about. So this, this could be, you know, maybe the first kind of a thing. And then we'll, we'll reconnect again and chat some more another time and have you, have you part of it. Okay, I would love that. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you for joining us today with Studio Stories. Thank you so much for inviting me. I really, really appreciate both of you. Keep up the good work, Morgan. Thanks, Matthew. (laughs) Have a great one. Thanks for joining us today. Next week, we'll be chatting with Danny Bercheski, who gave me my first start as a professional dancer and has been a major influence on my career. We're excited to have Danny with us here um, to tell us a little bit about his history as a dancer and jazz dance here in the Twin Cities. Remember, Studio Stories can be found wherever you find your local podcast. We're going to release every Thursday, and you can find it on Arena Dance's website. 